As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Angels to aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abductions, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Welcome, welcome everyone to Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, aka The Outlander, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The question is, do you believe? Join me now here where we discuss the most incredible stories on the planet, <laughs> from the paranormal to mysteries to horror to even heavenly interventions and the senses. Uh-huh, that's a hint. Um, <laughs> I'll also welcome you, the listener, to send over your personal questions and stories about anything and everything out of the ordinary that you'd like to share or get advice on. I'm not a psychic. I'm not a guru. Just somebody that experiences a lot of strange things like yourselves. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be interviewing some of the most intriguing guests from researchers to experiencers, authors, and other cultural creatives. And remember, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show, especially on iTunes. Uh, we're available on everything from Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, all that good stuff. And also, go to at Believe Podcast. That is B-L-E-A-V Podcast. And know that you can find me on, gosh, Twitter, Facebook. Just put a one in front of Heidi Hollis, just a one, the number one. That's it. And, uh, you know, you guys are here for a treat because uh, this next guest is like become a great friend, a motivator, and a colleague. And my God, I don't even know what to say. I'm rolling out the purple carpet for her right now. But Maureen Seberg, she's an expert blogger on the Census for Psychology Today. She is also the co author of Struck by Genius, How a Brain Injury Made Me a Mathematical Marvel with savant Jason Padgett. The book is now optioned for a film. I can't wait till that comes out. She's written for New York Times, National Geographic, Vogue, and more. 
She's working on a new book for St. Martin's Press about the astonishing sensory capabilities of everyday people like me and you. And uh, Maureen Seberg is also herself super talented with her sensory experiences as a polysynesthete, including the profound empathy of mere touch synesthesia and is a tetrachromat. Oh, wait till you hear about all that. <laughs> she is a super seer who possesses a fourth cone class for color perception. Oh my gosh, you guys are in for a treat. So everybody, round of applause for Maureen Seberg. Hey there, Hi. how are you? Hi, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know how I'm going to let you get away with saying you're not psychic or a guru, first of all, because <laughs> you are just incredibly gifted and one of my gurus so oh. thank you for having me on the show are you kidding me i am just like dying i was telling her before the show i'm like look i don't get nervous talking to anybody really i'm like oh my gosh i'm having my friend that is so funny i am too a little bit i'm like Ooh, heidi make it good <laughs> goodness it's so odd um you know how, how this world works. So I, I am just absolutely honored and, and pleased. And I mean, you're a mentor. You're, you do so much. I mean, I, I'm just like out of words for everything. That oh, you do. Thank you. Well, anyway. you have really brightened my life too. In the <laughs> several months I've known you, uh, you're just layers and layers of oh, miracles. And, and let me tell you, being the type of reporter that you are, you know when people say they could sniff out a story? Well, imagine somebody who has the ability to see more colors than most people on the planet and have that ability to sniff out stories. Oh, oh, and she she's a psychic. It, it, to a, it, well, I should say, not a psychic, but hypersensitive and very aware of other people. So you are putting people on blast, whoever gets on your radar. I would have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very interested in remote sensing and yeah. I've been practicing with that and we had a nice experience with that. And um, it, it's uh, it's all about the senses really. People don't know, Heidi, yeah. except for people like you, that God doesn't make junk and we are very high tech soft tissue technology, mm. all of us. So uh, around this time last year, one of my uh, other mentors, uh, Dr. William Bushell, uh, an MIT biophysical anthropologist who works for Deepak Chopra, uh, started telling me, he, you know, he's in those medical journals all the time, mm. things like PubMed and on doing his own research and he said you know what there's a real uptick going on in sensory research and um he described this um experiment at rockefeller university here in new york where three human beings of everyday ability not super seers were asked to view single photons being emitted from a special machine and do you know they could see it oh. you can see it with your unaided eye and how they set this up was they're in a completely dark room it's called a scotopic environment like darker than dark 
and um, they are in head braces because if you move, you might not see it. That's how tiny it is. And a researcher beams the photons one at a time, and you have a little buzzer, and you have to hit it if you think you see it. Well, they did. So that was kind of what led us into this, and we wrote a series about all this for Psychology Today, and now I'm writing a book. And I went on to find that we can hear sounds at amplitudes smaller than an atom, we can smell a trillion scents. They used to think we could only smell 10,000. Now they know it's a trillion. Wow. Uh, researchers in Israel just found a new set of taste buds for discerning fresh water. Hmm. How could we not know we had that, right? And um, we can also feel the difference in thickness of a single molecule applied to a smooth surface with our own fingertips. No machine can match us. We are all extraordinary. Wow, that's quite the statement. And it's, I, I think that uh, people often question the human potential, like we're not supposed to be observers of ourselves. I mean, how many times have any of us gone to the doctor and we're telling the doctor we have a problem and they're saying, no, you don't. <laughs> I hear it no. all the time, you know, like we don't know ourselves. Hold it. I'm in this body. I am telling you something's changed. Absolutely. I, I'm with you, Heidi. Yeah. Believe yourself. Yeah. Believe what you see, hear, taste, touch, feel. Yeah, it's um, we kind of live in this um, sensory overload world anyway, right now, especially information, visuals and hearing coming in 24 seven. True. But but if you can train yourself to filter some of that and go out into nature and just focus on you, not what's coming at you. What is going on in your own body? What is your body telling you? It's a very enriching experience. Do you think artists and, might have that ability more than the next that they're able to replicate what their senses are pulling in? I think that's an excellent observation. Anyone who's a trained observer like that, Anyone, uh, like I would like to think as a journalist for more than 20 years, I would, you know, you'd get to the scene of a crime or something and you have to stop. Don't go in mindlessly. Don't go in in the trance of the everyday, right? right. Stop. Look. Hear. Smell. Wake up. Do it presently in the moment alert 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 and i think artists are some of the best trained observers they are um either creating completely new paradigms or they are representing our world to us yeah i i think that's a brilliant observation you made yes yes well i like you. yours because we are obsessed in this country and around the globe uh, when it comes to detective shows, murder shows, like, and how they solve crime. I, I can't help but to think that people who are in that type of field, if they aren't 
uh, more aware of their senses because they really have to get into the mind of others. I, I, I don't know what your take would yes. be on that. Yes, well, uh, I happen, and you are also uh, friendly with <laughs> um, a very sharp detective yes. who really has a mindfulness practice on the job and off. And it's, um, you, you just really, especially them, I mean, a journalist has the benefit of coming in when all the armed men and women are already there. But if you're first on a scene, you had better be alert, uh, eyes and back of your head alert, right? So I think that um, cops, first responders of all kinds, firemen, um, EMTs, I think they, first of all, they're special people to begin with in terms of their empathic abilities. Yeah. But I think there's a level of alertness and readiness that we can all learn from. You know, you don't have to have the adrenaline flowing like you're running after a bank robber all the time. That wouldn't be good for your body. Right. But if you could really just, what I do during the day is I like pause and I say like here, now, be in the moment now. Don't trance out like you do when you're driving or when you're, you know, I think we're in a trance much of the time. But I think you need to pull yourself out of that several times a day and just make sure you're letting every bit of information you need at the moment in. Not, not the information you don't need so much. I mean, I, I'm really a, an advocate of shutting down and meditating and going to quiet spaces. I know you're an avid swimmer. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful activity. Like yeah. anything that pulls you out of this deluge of sometimes unwanted yeah. um, sensory. It's an assault uh, to the sensories when you think about it. Is it is assault, an assault. It yeah. is an assault. Because it's not, <laughs> how can I say, when you're looking at a screen, it's not real. <laughs> it's so our, I wonder what it does to our brains if it scrambles the signals sometimes and, and dullens it because we're looking at something that's supposed to be three-dimensional, but it's not. I wonder what that does to us, if that yeah, somehow breaks right. us down. Well, there, there are a lot of studies about um, what it does to your eyes. It's not really good for your eyes. And of course, sitting is one of the worst things we can do. And as a writer, I have to, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I break it up a lot and go for walks during the day. Yeah. Um, chairs are fatal, man. They just are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are not our friends. Right. right. And um, so I, I think what we're talking about and what you talk about so brilliantly every week is just a level of awareness and a, le a level of knowledge about what's around us, the seen and the unseen. Because the unseen can be felt, um, and and I think everyone has these abilities. Yeah, I think so too. But it, it really, uh, I can't help but to think about when thinking about interacting with uh, flat surfaces versus a three D reality. Um, I'll never forget the the little snippet of video of a of a 
baby being handed a book and the baby just is touching it, trying to get it to work with a finger, thinking it's an app. It, it, wow. The baby didn't know to turn, open the book. It, it, if that's not changing our perception in the world and how to interact with it, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, that's really disturbing. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I come from a newspaper background and, um, you know, the smell of it when you pick it up and the feel of the paper <laughs> against your fingertips and a cup of coffee to go with it, you know, I mean, we're missing something, I think. Um, yeah, interaction, that's for sure. Yeah. It, you know, I'd love if you could go into, uh, you boldly go into an, an arena that I never heard of. And I'm, I'm surprised dealing with the topics that I do uh, when it comes to something called synesthesia. We've been brushing on mm. it a bit, but I think people uh, really would love to hear a, a complete definition by the, the, the woman who's really putting it on the, on the world map. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I like to call myself seamstress for the band of synesthetes. <laughs> because I, I profile a lot of them and a lot of them are major creatives. So synesthesia, my definition, is a bonus set of senses. You know, you'll hear a lot about, oh, it's cross-wiring, it's mixed up senses, and that really does a disservice mm. to the experience. Synesthetes are experiencing everything that people everyday people around the world experience except they're getting a layer on top of it so back to the newspapers were I to look at the numeral five on the front page of the New York Times I would know it's black ink on a white background like everyone but I would also get a navy blue aura around the five so what that does for people who have this is it serves as a mnemonic. So remember in school, the teacher teaches the memory palace, which is from ancient times. And yeah. if you have to, uh, <coughs> pardon me, if you have to um, remember a grocery list, you could imagine groceries placed about a palace or your own home. And um, just putting the bread in the mailbox visually helps you to remember it better. Well, that navy blue around my five helps me remember addresses better and phone numbers and all sorts of things. Um, I remember being a kid in school and I was taking a test and I couldn't remember the year that the United States entered World War I. And I closed my eyes for a minute and I said, oh, black, brown, black, red, 1914. Wow. And there it was. And you know, a, a really a, a sexier example of that is um, one of the co-founders of the internet, uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, uh, his colleague, uh, Robert Kalau at CERN um, told me, he's a synesthete. You know, he has to go through many secret passageways in those underground tunnels and they're all um, like um, password code doors that he has to memorize. There's not even a, like a card. Wow. He mm -hmm. has to know. So, and I'm sure they change them from time to time. So he says he gets to one of these and he 
couldn't remember the passcode and closed his eyes and saw the colors and worked backwards. Amazing. Yeah, like Hugh James Bond theme, right? That's pretty cool yeah. stuff. Now I know how people are passing exams and stuff when I'd be sitting there going, how on earth? What is this? How do they remember those <laughs> numbers? I'm terrible with numbers. Terrible. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I'm not that great with them, but I can remember them. So um, it, it has its advantages. Um, synesthesia also is six to seven more times likely to be present in creatives. So uh, everyone from Lady Gaga to Alanis Morissette to uh, LL Cool J to Pharrell to Mary J. Blige, uh, they all have synesthesia. And uh, cool. it's good for music. It's good for meta metaphorical thinking as a writer. And there's so, a lot um, of categories too. Like I, oh, I, yeah. I just don't, I, it's, so it's not just about colors around letters and numbers. It's so much. I still owe you a complete list. And since <laughs> I told you there were more than 80, now people are saying more than a hundred. Wow. So it's evolving like by the day, wow. how many forms. So to go over some of the interesting forms, like it does have a lot to do with color. I have colors for my days of the week and months and some music and people's voices come across as a certain color. But um, some people assign personalities to numbers or some people get a flavor in their mouth when they say a certain word. So like any combination of the senses you can think of, that's what can happen. So if I think of somebody rotten and I, I, I'm tasting rotten meat or something in my mouth, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that gets associated with this person. I, I know that, and I think that a lot of people get this, like when you, you, you get a certain smell and it makes you think of prom or something. Or, yes. Uh, so well, it's like Proust and the Madeline cookie. Like it's, a, it's a beautiful scene from literature. If, if he had a Madeline cookie, he was taken back to Sundays spent with his aunt, instantly transported. So I, I think sense and memory are intrinsically linked. Wow. So that you can go down memory lane uh, quite easily. It's, I've seen it in, uh, as, as a therapist, I've seen my patients like come to life when a certain song comes on and all of a sudden they're just, you know, the foot's moving, the, the hips are swaying and, and, and oh, it's it, wonderful. Oh, it just paints a picture. So whatever this, the, I liked what you called our, our, our bodies. What did you call it? A perfect uh, machine or, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, high tech, high soft tech. tissue technology. I love it. Because everything. Yeah, that and that's us. not even mine. That's that's Dr. William Bushell, oh, who says that. Love yeah, it. we cool. we are perfect machines. I mean, we're much more than that, but we are also perfect machines. Yes, everything that comes in touch with it, we react, we respond. Mm -hmm. And and the way that we express what we're interpreting, I I think it's. Uh, it's endless and, and it gets expressed in so many different ways. You've given me the example of uh, writers or, or singers that are like, I had to write it down just then because I thought it would pass and I wouldn't catch it and somebody else would. Or uh, how, how, how did you explain that? 
I'm I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understand which when you part of what I said. Oh, is it, it with a a, a sound of music or or a poem like the different people that would interpret seeing it passing them by almost and they're like I had to write it down right then otherwise I think I would have missed it. Oh yeah, that's a story. I love this story. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and so much more, she tells it in her first TED Talk. Um, the great poet Ruth Stone, they were talking about process, right? The process of writing, and we all have our various processes, yes. right? So Ruth Stone, when, when she feels a poem coming on, she hears it thunder across the landscape and she has to catch it like a thread in the air and pull it into her body wow. so that she doesn't lose it. And she says one day she was outside the house and she ran like hell to go get a pencil and a piece of paper and she all, almost missed it, but she caught the poem by its tail and wrote it down from the last word to the first can you imagine <laughs> the poem came out backwards oh my god it's like catching a kite flying by like oh my god yeah, that's a that's a beautiful image you just gave so like everyone has their own tricks to their own hacks for their own minds you know and that, and that's one of the most fascinating things I've sort of had a front row seat for covering this stuff. Yeah, my gosh. And and the the list of creatives that you you capture and see their process, it, it doesn't matter if it's if you're talking to them directly or you catch a whisper of a news story or like I caught uh, Lost in Space that's on Netflix, the new TV series. Oh, that was series. a great reference. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, the, the little kid, he's a, he's a machine empath. He feels the robot. <laughs> so it, it's amazing to me what is, what's out there and being portrayed about the human senses without us even realizing it this is synesthesia we have a name for it now yes it is and you know it's funny Heidi because a hundred years ago or or like turn of the 20th century synesthesia was not only known it was chic I mean there were like imposter synesthetes in the arts because they thought it was so cool they should um co-opt it you know and then then it was like lights out for a hundred years oh, nobody boy. talked about it nobody cared it's I call it sometimes the Baghdad battery of, of brain gifts you know <laughs> like forgotten for a long time and then you know like brain imaging started coming around and these two really brave scientists Dr. Richard Saitoic of George Washington University and Larry Saito, excuse me, Larry Marks of Yale, they started exploring it over the objections of their colleagues who all said, it's a career killer. Don't go there. It's wow. too woo-woo. It's not real. But these two geniuses started taking people who reported synesthesia and putting them in fMRI machines. And voila, 
two parts of the brain lit up for every sensory stimulus, at least two. So they knew there wasn't just one thing going on, the expected one. They knew that the unexpected was happening, that other sensory things were being ignited. And that has to do with the hyperconnectivity of a synesthete brain. Um, the great researcher Daphne Moore of um, McGill University in Canada, one of the finest universities there, if not the finest, mm -hmm. she advanced the theory and proved it that we are all born synesthetes. At four months, though, some kind of pruning of our neurons goes on. Like the neurons grow, but they also pull back away from each other. Yeah. So most people then don't have a bonus sensory experience. It doesn't go from A to B to C. It just goes from A to B. But in 4% of people, these, this pruning never goes on. It's genetic. It never goes on. And so their brains are like this, has, have many, many, many connections. Uh, you know, they make extraordinary leaps of logic and creativity because of it. It's amazing. It, it, do you mind if uh, we talk a little bit about your fabulous book, Struck by Genius, that is now being oh, made into a, a major film? Yes, tell thank us, goodness. Yeah, yeah tell us uh, about how you came across Jason and, and what took place with his story. Well, it was really interesting. I am such a synesthesia geek. I have a, a Gmail Google alert set up on the internet, right? So oh anything gosh. that has a keyword of synesthesia dumps into my inbox. Love it. So I can stay on top of things. And um, one day, this, this Google alert landed in my inbox, and it was some guy out in Tacoma, Washington, who had just uploaded a video of himself drawing these extraordinary geometric shapes that he saw in response to math. And he had keyworded it synesthesia savant syndrome, which he theorized was going on with himself, but he was not sure. Yeah. He had not seen the right doctors yet. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I ever saw. And he said it to this like Bollywood soundtrack, <laughs> which I love India having been there. And, um, it um it just really caught my attention. So I watched it like 25 times in a row. And then I wrote him through YouTube, my handle to his handle. And he responded right away. And we hit it off. We jumped on the phone right away. And um, coincidentally, he and his wife were coming to Manhattan two weeks from that day. Oh, come on. And I said, can I wow. take you to lunch? <laughs> yes. And uh, I introduced him to a literary agent that day. And we went on a tour of the UN with another synesthete friend of ours who's an editor there. And uh, it was just this, like, amazing connection from the start. And um, so we did get a major book deal. What ended up happening was... Um, he was on Nightline and it's 100 million viewers the week we were shopping his book proposal. 
So we had like 14 people vying for it. And then a 15th came in with a mega preempt offer. And um, it was just so many wonderful circumstances fell in line. And um, it is an extraordinary story, not because I wrote it, but it speaks to, well, let me say what it is. Um, Jason was a party guy out in Tacoma, you know, great guy, wouldn't hurt a soul. I'm not judging him, but he did fail out of college and uh, he did have a mullet (laughs) and uh, he did work for his dad who just passed away. Um, May he rest in peace, John Padgett. Mm. And, um, you know, so he was the kind of guy he'd party every night and because he worked for dad, he would roll in whenever he felt like it to work. Right. So one night he's at a karaoke bar and unfortunately, um, some bad guys spotted him and, um, mugged him outside the bar. And uh, he suffered a head injury. And when he woke from the concussion, he was a mathematical genius. Wow. At a great price, though. Great price. At a great price. At a great price. And with a lot of trade-offs because so like savants, whether they are born or made, they are very, very, very good at a very narrow area of things right so a uh, rain man could you know memorize the bible and the book of mormon but he could not tie his own shoelaces his father did that for him uh, literally it sounds yeah. like you know uh, it sounds like hyperbole but it's not he could not tie his shoelaces so jason has all these trade-offs that he's working on like um he developed really severe ocd and um, he would like Lysol money and then throw it in the microwave. Wow. And I, I made him stop. I said, you're, you're going to blow up the microwave. Please stop, you know. But that's, <laughs> that's how afraid of germs he was. And um, he's made tremendous progress through therapy. But, of course, COVID is making him go through so much all over again, just like the rest of us. But. Yeah. For someone with those tendencies, very much so. Oh, I didn't think so, about that. Must be a horrible time for OCD people. Yeah, it is. Wow. So, um, so yeah, so I believe Jason. I mean, if you ever met him, he's such a regular guy. I, I had no doubts after getting to know him. But I did end up getting his brain scanned in um, Helsinki at a top laboratory while we were in Europe for a conference. And I road tripped with him to um, Rain Man's doctor in Wisconsin, Dr. Daryl Treffer, who is the loveliest man on earth. And um, he is senior now, so he doesn't come to you. You must go to his lovely little town named Fond du Lac, um, which I have such fond memories of. (laughs) But um, he took a good look at Jason too. He examined him at his hospital and his home office and concluded that it was a sudden savant or acquired savant syndrome. Amazing. Acquired acquired from an injury. So very rare. It is so very rare, but the most magnificent part of all of this is what it means for the rest of us. 
as extraordinary as Jason is, as I left Dr. Treffert's home office, he literally grabbed my arm on the way out the door. Jason was already through the door and he said, Maureen, there's one thing. Oh, you're breaking I up. Said, yes, I did, Dr. Trafford, I didn't me. catch that part. You said he grabbed oh, your arm me, and let said, "Let me move." <laughs> yes, he grabbed he grabbed my arm and he said, "Maureen, there's one thing you need to remember about all this." And I said, "Yes, Dr. Trafford, please tell me." And he said, "Nothing was added nor created when Jason Paget was injured." Mm. Genetic memory, the factory installed software that we are all born with was released. Wow. Oh, that's powerful right there because imagine our, that our human potential right there. It says it all that we can all attain that. We carry, we carry so much in our DNA that is not yet understood. But if you look at the savants, the acquired and the sudden savants, who inexplicably, you know, Jason never got, I think he like got through algebra. That was it. Hmm. Pre-algebra even in his previous life. He's doing calculus now and theorizing on, on quantum physics. How do you explain it? <laughs> so... Somehow, uh, they call it the tyranny of the, um, hemi- the tyranny of the right hemisphere. I think it is. Um, it relents sometimes when we are injured or have illness, um, things like that. So uh, it's he's a real window into all of our potentials. Yeah, it, and it, I, it, I think that's the takeaway from his story. It makes me wonder. I. I... How can we create that kind of balance and what button do we push to make it happen? I, you have told me in the past. Well, there that, actually is a button. There, oh, oh, well, hey, it's, it's, it's not at Staples, that easy button. I'm sure it's something special. So there's this, there's this amazing neuroscientist, Alan Snyder, Dr. Alan Snyder in Australia. And he has created something called a God helmet and it's electrocranial um, stimulation. And when he tests you before you wear the helmet and while you're wearing the helmet and after you wear the helmet and while wearing the helmet, people can draw like Leonardo da Vinci. They can answer test questions better. The bad part is the effects, the effects wear off 45 minutes after removing the helmet. But they have it. They have it. You know, I have to tell you. They have it. I've had more than my share of uh, brain scans with MRI. And and a lot of people tell me, oh, I freak out when I go in there. And I'm like, I love it because I get so many images. It's it's like out-of-body experience and you get all the answers to the universe and then it starts to fade. And... And I was discussing this wow. with somebody recently, and and they told me, "Have you heard of the God helmet? They use the same magnets." I'm like, <laughs> "I want one of these." Are you serious? Because I, I love them. Oh, I yeah. Jason and I were with Dr. Snyder in Stockholm, Sweden, yeah. 
that that very doctor who developed that. Come on, so, see, and we no, haven't spoke no about we have not spoke about and this. He, <laughs> wow. No, and I I love your MRI experience. I had oh. never heard that, but oh yeah, yeah, it's magnetic. It's magnets. And, I have um, no idea. I I go and I trips. I go on trips. I swear I saw God a few times. I'm like just just so much, and I'm like this is this is cool. I'm like maybe it's hypnotic. I don't know what it is, but I knew it was something uh, with the MRI machines. But you know, it, I I, I apologize to... for that. Hear me? Yeah, I hear you good. Yeah. <laughs> That that was our friend Jeanette calling. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! But uh, me back, Jeanette. <laughs> well, you know what is? Uh, I I can't help but to wonder with yourself. I mean, here you are, this magnificent reporter, author, and able to spot out those of us that may be of the four percent with synesthesia. All the while, you've been experiencing this, like, out of a movie, science fiction vision that you've had to explain to people. And now you don't have to explain yourself anymore that you see better than the next person. You got, you got tested. This is on record. So do tell us about this special superhero mutant X gene you've got. Because that's... Yeah, sign me up for the X-Men team. Right. Yes. Um, so I always knew something was up with my vision, my color vision in particular, because I never agree with people about what color things are. And they say things like yellow, blue, or red. And I say, no, that's marigold and that's teal and that's cinnabar or, you know, <laughs> vermilion. Like I'm very specific about my color and, and, some of it has to do with vocabulary too, right? And I'm a geek, so I really care about the words we use uh, for color. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's just one of my tics. And then I, and I thought maybe it has to do with my synesthesia because I'm this passive recipient of color impressions all the time. So maybe I just care about color more, right? Well, I heard this radio lab podcast one day. I just love them. And they had a a woman named Susan Hogan, who I subsequently got to talk to. She's lovely. She's an interior designer in um, Pittsburgh. And they were talking to her and she was saying things like, yeah, don't you see the pink in the sky right now? And it was a clear blue sky to everyone else. And uh, she was very particular about color. And they talked about her tetrachromacy mm. or the fact that she had tested her DNA and she had an extra cone class. Cones are um, the cells in the back of our retina that read color. Um, she has an extra set of those for discerning color. It's a mutation, but it's an advantageous one. So they had this great doctor on the show, Dr. Jay Knights out of the University of Washington at Seattle, and he had done her DNA. So I thought, you know what, this might very well be what's going on with me. So I called him and uh, he's very pleasant. And he said, Oh, he asked me all about my behaviors and I said, I disagree about color all the time. And uh, I'm really persnickety about the words for them, the names for them. (laughs) 
he said, he said, let me ask you one thing. I said, okay, are any of the men in your family colorblind? And I thought that was the weirdest question, Heidi, because aren't we talking about supervision? But when I thought about it, a whole bunch of men in my family are colorblind, (laughs) like a lot. And so I told him and he said, that's it. I'm sending a spit kit. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it comes in the mail and first thing in the morning I do it. And it was like the most excruciating six weeks waiting for the results. Right. Uh, And then, then he also set some color tests, like written tests for me to do. And uh, so not only did I turn out to have the genes for this, I aced two color tests with a hundred percent. Right. Wow. So that was one level. Like I knew I had the genes. We knew I had the behaviors, but there's still a question in the very picky scientific community about functionality. And now I am being studied by a real crackerjack team at, um, Arizona State University, which includes the Nobel Prize winner for physics, Frank Wilczek. And um, they devised this really interesting and really elegant and straightforward test. And I passed it for functionality. So now I can say, yeah, I knew I was functional or why would would I have been having that conversation from the start? But, but here it is. Here's, here's my point. And, and you're like one of the coolest uh, ladies on the planet to have her own lipstick line. Hello. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I was really fortunate. I thought, I thought, wow, I need to put this to use. Like people who are noses in the perfume industry, right? Like right. God gives you a gift. You're supposed to use it. So the company I most admired for their palette is MAC Cosmetics. I mean, ladies, gentlemen, can we talk? Yes. You go into those <laughs> stores or the counters they have in department stores. It's just the most beautiful array of colors. And I also love their diversity. And, you know, they, they support all kinds of people's rights and um, their philanthropy. So I thought, these these are my people. So I reached out to their creative director and he was extremely receptive and had me in. And I ended up uh, developing a line of 24 lipsticks with them. I went to the factory and worked with the chemists <laughs> and sent it back if it wasn't the right color and uh, lo- looked at it in office lighting and walked outside the factory to see it in daylight and all kinds of uh, fun. Uh, Yeah. So it was, was, yeah, it sure was. And, um, uh, it's called lip tensity and it's, uh, it's retired right now, but you can still get it, um, on eBay and some places. Yeah. And everyone has worn this lipstick from, um, Kendall Jenner, Gigi Hadid, uh, uh, Selena Gomez wore it on the cover of Vogue. So it is, uh, it became an instant classic. It really did. That's fantastic. It, it, it must be a strange thing to be who you are. First off, there's how many of you that have actually tested positive for having 
stolen the cones from their their male uh, counterparts. Yeah, it feels that way, right? The women get all the colors. <laughs> um, that's why we have to dress so many of the men. Oh, but of uh, right. Um, so uh, there are two other Americans, and there's a woman in England who was the first. In uh, I think they discovered her in 2009. And but that's it. There, well, that's it for now, but, uh, and those are the ones who are public about it, but um, they are going to be um, able to more widely test women, and I'm sure they will find more. That's amazing. They, they, they extrapolated from the men's colorblind statistics and predicted that as many as 12% of women around the world could have the genes for this, especially since it's advantageous. Yes. And, um, but they are expecting very few of them to be functional. But out of the billions, there's four as of today. Yeah, four or five. Yeah, that that I know of, that I'm aware of, because I imagine not everyone's public. And, and here you are, this, this, this journalist looking for stories, and you were the story of the of well, that's, century, that's, of century. You know, that's <laughs> God saying ha once again, because... <laughs> One of my, right, one of my girlfriends calls me the unicorn hunter. And um, when this happened, she said, ha ha, you're the unicorn. You know, like, what am I supposed to do now? Chase my tail around in a circle? Yeah. Like, I'll never catch me, right? <laughs> so it's very, very funny. Yeah, it's very, very funny. Um, oh, man. And it reminded me of the great piece of literature called The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. Um, I don't want to be, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for those who may yet read it, but the moral of the story was the man goes on an amazing quest for treasure throughout and finds it under his backyard tree in the end, right? Right, right. So it felt very alchemist, like (laughs) that whole experience, yeah. Sure does. Oh my gosh, it, it it's just uh it's so incredible, and there's so much more that you're you're pulling together. Um, in, in this new book that you're you're about to get put out, when it, when can we expect that book? Actually, I believe sometime next year, but it's due in November. I'll be turning it in in November. So uh, this this virus has put a, a a kink in your plans, however, and your research for it. Yeah, it's more challenging, but I'm trying my best to stay on schedule. And um, yeah, it's um, uh, in the book, I say this whole thing about the senses, and now we have better machines to test our senses. So we're finding out, no, you can't smell 10,000 things, which is already a lot. You can smell a trillion things, right? Amazing. And and all the other mind-blowing ones I told you about, seeing the single photon, et cetera. Right. Um, I say, go ahead. yeah, I say it's like finding out the oil painting your grandma willed you is an old master, <laughs> except <laughs> you, you are the painting love it that's beautiful i love it well you know what how can people uh, catch your blog and catch your see your book Uh, put your information out there so they can reach out to you oh thank you very much please go to psychologytoday.com and mine is the sensorium blog nice very cool and you're also on medium and 
just yes, you can read me on Medium, um, National Geographic. I have archival work in the New York Times, um, Vogue, Glamour. I'm out there. She's out there. Just Google Maureen Seberg. I do. And just to see <laughs> the, the piles of, of wonderful stuff that she does. And fantastic Thank you. It will all be woven into a, a website someday. Yes, I just... It, I, and your photos. She's a she's an expert photographer. Thank you. I mean, I'm thank you. Yeah, I have been published in that geo, my photos and video. Um, I just love the visuals. I I love colors. I love nature, and I think one of the reasons I love nature so much is for me there are so many more colors in the natural world than there are indoors, and this is because I realize all the manufactured goods we live with from textiles to wallpapers to paints to our clothing are made by trichromats, normal people with three cone classes for trichromats. Mm. But the minute I step into nature, it goes more technicolor. And I see lots of colors out, out of doors that are not utilized in manufactured goods. Yeah, that's amazing. It, what's the numbers again between us and you? How many colors do? Oh, so the outer reaches, we don't know how many I can see yet, but normal people see a million colors, which is a lot. And tetrachromats could see as many as a hundred million. Mutant genes. That is a superhero. I swear you need <laughs> magenta cape. Look who's talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we'll have to do another show to talk about all that. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Very soon. <laughs> you know what, Maureen Seberg, everybody, you have got to look into her information. She's amazing as a human being and as an author, journalist, photographer. So it's been an absolute pleasure, Maureen. Thank you so much. Oh, an honor to be on your show. And I've enjoyed all your episodes so far. Um, <laughs> it's just really wondrous, really a really wondrous podcast. So oh. thank you for letting me be part of it. Thanks so much. So you guys, remember, you can catch me here on Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. On Believe and go to HeidiHollis.com if you want to share your opinions or your stories or anything out of the ordinary that you've experienced. And remember, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe and rate on iTunes. And we're available on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. And uh, also, you could go to at Believe Podcasts. And uh, this has been another awesome show. All of my Social media is at one Heidi Hollis, and uh, we'll catch you here next time, everybody. Angels to aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abduction, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens with Heidi Hollis, the Outlander.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 